I don't really know what to do right now. So, I, you know, if you ever look on Spotify, I was looking on the top, like, the top played songs on Spotify, and of the top 20, I didn't know any of them. And I realized how out of sync I was with, you know, culture and everything. And as I was sitting here worshiping and singing and watching these guys, I think, you know, I'm going to get to heaven, I'm going to be really surprised because it's going to look a lot different than I was expecting. You know, I've got this whole, like, slow and slow thing. And these guys are just rocking it. Thank you, by the way, for coming in the front row and not leaving me all by myself. That was nice. (laughs) But I'm out of breath. Anyway, heaven's going to be wonderful, and you guys are all going to be there, and we're going to party, and it's going to be awesome. Yeah, so we're talking through the questions that Jesus asks his people throughout Scripture. That's the series that we've been in. And um, so if you know anything about me, you know that I tend to have a kind of a big personality if you've ever spent any time with me. My wife says that I take up a lot of social space at gatherings and that I need to be careful and mindful of that. And, and she's right. But I actually have to think, you know, I'm okay with it because I'm a really fun guy. I am. If you've ever spent any time with me, like, we're going to have a good time. I'm going to try to make you have a good time. That's, that's what I love. And one of the things that I love is getting other people to love the things that I love. That's like one of my favorite things. And because, because I know that they're cool and they're great, especially bicycling. If you've ever spent any time with me, you know we're probably going to talk about bicycling at some point in our conversation. When I was in Sioux Falls, I was a bike shop salesman part-time just for a little while. And I did this chiefly just to support my addiction, I mean my hobby. <laughs> and uh, I got to sell these bicycles. Well, this was the first bicycle I ever sold. That is a giant trance. This is a newer model, but it's a giant trance top and mountain bike that uh, was $4,000. First day on the sales floor, first bike I ever sold, four grand. Now, what's impressive about that is the guy who came in was, had a budget of 400 bucks. Yeah, that's the kind of salesman I am. Uh, but the reality is, I just told him how exciting biking was and how if you really wanted to have this great experience, you know, this is the way to do it right, and I was just going on and on about how great it was, and the guy walked out, happy, satisfied customer, never looked back, now I'm sure he's a mountain biker. In fact, last weekend, I had the opportunity to take a group of students down to Phoenix, Arizona, and on Saturday, we had a day off. So I said, I'm going to go mountain biking in the desert, and I started talking about how awesome it was to mountain bike in the desert, and I said, you guys come with me if you want, and sure enough, you know, one by one, they're like, yeah, I'd like to do that, I'd like to do that, and everybody who went had a really good time. Uh, Well, I should say almost everybody that went had a really good time. The four out of five of them who didn't break their elbows had a really good time. Sorry, Noah, are you here? Can you raise your hand? Sorry, just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Noah's a trooper. We spent Saturday night in the ER together. We got to know each other very well. It was awesome. He's a great guy, and we're praying God's healing. Anyway, we'll just move on. But, But that's part of my personality, right? Part of the shadow side of my personality is that I tend to create so much enthusiasm that sometimes it can come off as pressure, right? And I can assert my will and my desires so strongly that it makes people feel like they don't really always have options or opportunities and they find themselves in situations they maybe shouldn't be in or don't want to be in or whatever. And I think maybe we all do that to some degree, right? Maybe you're not all like me in the persuasive salesman type where you want everybody else to experience all of the joy and love and and, uh, life experiences that you have. But I bet 
if we really boil it all down, most of us think we're right most of the time. Especially in this political season, I, I overhear a lot of conversations, and people are talking about politics, and everybody's got the right answer, right? So they argue and they debate, and well, we just need to do this. This is what has to happen. You know, if we would only, you know, change this or tweak that or do that, I hear it in churches. You know, well, we, we stop doing this and we start doing this better or more or differently. And really what we're all saying is, if we would just do it a little bit more like me, because the way that I do it is probably the right way or the way that I think is the best, right? Or we wouldn't do it that way. Anybody have dating problems? Anybody? Nobody? Okay, awesome. Well, this, this illustration is going to fail. Um, but in college, I had dating problems, right? I, was, I got to the point, you know, I dated girls, and I would do different things, you know, and I'd go out and meet people, and I just got so sick and tired of the drama, and I got so sick and tired of, of the heartbreak and, like, the questions and the constant attention that it required and the energy that it took. Anybody else? No? Like, okay, you're all into it. That's cool. Um, but I just got so sick of it, because in my mind, I had this list, right? I had this ideal, or this idea of what the perfect spouse or mate was going to look like, or at least a pretty good idea. That would be the one on the left, or, yeah, you're right, that one. Um, you know, I just got everything together, and it's all good. And I got to the point with the Lord that I was like, hey, you know what? I'm done. I'm so sick of this dating thing. I'm just going to, in the pious way, I'm going to lay it at your feet, Jesus. I'm, I'm going to be done with all of this. I'm going to walk away from this scene. There are three things, though, that, that if you're going to do this for me, I'm not going to look anymore, but there are three things. I'd really like her to be on time because I don't like people who are late, or I don't like it when people are late. I'd really like her to be a hard worker because she has to keep up with me. And I'd really like her to be good with money because I bounced my checkbook seven times last year. So I said, if you could take care of those three things, that's all I'm really going to ask for. Other than that, I don't care. And then I was making my plans to move to a hut in a third world country and be a missionary. So I said, I'm done with all that. Well, wouldn't you know it, about three days later, I met my wife. And I felt like the Lord was like Solomon, you know, since you asked for such a great thing, I'm going to give you all of that and then more. Right? And I got the beauty, I got the wisdom, I got the talent, I got, I got the humor, I got all the good stuff, and I got a girl who is on time, who works hard, and who's really good with handling money. Praise you, Jesus. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. It was a great time in my life. And we got married, and everything was hunky-dory, we were moving in the right direction, and all of a sudden, a few months into our marriage, we started having these little fights. And guess what the fights were about? Time, work, and money. Go figure, right? And as we were arguing, we had this one particular night that was troubling to me. It was probably one of the darkest, lowest nights of our marriage, if I can remember right. And she said this. She said, sometimes I feel like it's not actually me that you want, but I feel like you're trying to get me to be somebody else. Like there's somebody else in your mind that you want, and you're just trying to, like, trying to fit me in maneuver me into being that person. Oh, and that hurt. And I was like, no, no, babe, like, I love you for you, and I'm just trying to help you be the best version of yourself, you know, iron sharpening iron, all that good stuff. Trying to justify myself and sound all pious and spiritual. And the reality was, I went away from that conversation really sobered up, 
and had a long, hard look at myself and talked to God about it. And what I realized was <clears throat> I was trying to do that. I was trying to get her to be me. <laughs> Anybody heard of sologamy? Okay, we live in a sexual revolution that's really crazy and volatile. This is just weird. <laughs> so weird. Marriage by a person to themselves, okay? That was a new one for me. Anyway, as I was arguing with my wife and we were talking and working through this, I realized, though, that a lot of what I do is I try to manipulate her into being like me. I try, I think I'm right, and I want her to be formed into my image, or at least my image of what I think she needs to be. I think we all kind of do that with Jesus. Turn to John 18 if you have your scriptures, otherwise just read along with me on the screen. When he had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples. This was when they were in the upper room, and they had just done the foot washing. He left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side, there was a garden. He and his disciples went into it. I told you to turn your Bibles, but I didn't tell you where. This is John 18, 1 through 14. Picking up. On the other side, there was a garden. He and his disciples went into it. Now Judas, who had betrayed him, knew the place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas came to the garden, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees. They were carrying torches and lanterns and weapons. And Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, Who is it that you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. Well, I am he, Jesus said. And Judas the traitor was standing there with them. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and they fell to the ground. Again he asked them, Who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. If you're looking for me, then let these men go. And this happened so that the words he had spoken would be fulfilled. I have not lost one of those that you gave me. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it. He struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. That servant's name was Malchus. And Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? Then the detachment of soldiers, with its commander and the Jewish officials, arrested Jesus. They bound him, and they brought him first to Annas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest of that year. Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jewish leaders that it would be good if one man died for the people. This is God's word for you today. The story of the passion in the book of John is incredibly full of irony. It's actually kind of a divine comedy just dripping with irony. And John teases out a lot of the ironic pieces in his language if you pay careful attention. If you remember, the book of John is actually modeled the beginning, especially after the, the book of Genesis. You know, they start the same, in the beginning, right? In the book of Genesis, God spoke, and there was life and light. And in the book of John, Jesus came, and he was life, and he was light. That word that had spoken was now flesh dwelling among us. And in Genesis, there was a garden. And in John 18, we find ourselves in another garden. Only this time... God was not looking for sinful men, but rather sinful men 
were looking for God. And Jesus is the second Adam. The first time Adam blew it and God, he was hiding and God was looking for him. And this time, the second Adam stands in perfection awaiting his father's instructions. And the irony of this is that these guys came at night with torches and lanterns looking for the light of the world. Right? They came with weapons, clubs and spears looking for the prince of peace. They came to a familiar place in the garden where they hung out as friends where he could be betrayed. The king of kings was going to be questioned. The judge of all creation was going to be sentenced. The healer was about to be brutalized and tortured. Everything is upside down in this story. And John twists it a little bit further by having him ask the question twice, who is it that you want? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus says, I'm he. And I imagine, you ever see those movies where there's that trigger word and all of a sudden the memories come in rapid succession one after another? And I imagine when Jesus said, I am he, there was kind of like this moment where all of his I am statements came back to mind. I am the bread of life who sustains your soul I am the light of the world that shines in the darkness. I am the good shepherd who lays down my life for the sheep. I am the gate who keeps the bad out and the good in. I am the vine, and you find your sustenance and you get your fruit by hanging on to me. He says, if you want to get to the Father, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the resurrection from the dead and the life eternal. I am the great I am. And John writes that they fell back. Interestingly enough, the Synoptic Gospels don't have them falling back. But John's writing is that he wants to point out very clearly who is in charge here. Even Peter pulls out his little sword and he's like, you know, and Jesus is like, Peter, come on, man. Like, I got this. And he's like, put your sword away. And I can imagine, like, Peter, dude, don't you realize that I could rain down fire and, like, blow this whole place up with a word? Don't you realize I could speak a word and an angel armies of heaven would come down and rescue me? Like, this isn't even a fight. I'm doing this because this is the Father's will. Who is it that you want? When I was in college, I met a guy named Lee. Lee was a non-traditional student, and he practiced martial arts. And I watched him working out in the gym one day, and I said, that is so cool. I want to learn how to do that. And he said, I'll teach you. I said, I can't afford it. He said, I'll make a deal with you. You help me with some house chores, I'll teach you for free. I said, okay. So I started painting his house on the weekends, and he would teach me martial arts in the gym uh, during the week. And in case any of you are wondering, you don't want to mess with this. I almost made it past the white belt. Yeah. But me and Lee spent a lot of time together in the gym, and I got to know him well. And there was this guy who owned the gym named Dave. Uh, Mike, excuse me, his name was Mike. Mike owned the gym. <laughs> Dave, Mike, they're all... Yeah. <laughs> Mike owned this gym, and he was a real humble dude, and he walked around, and apparently the stories that Lee would tell me about Mike were that he was, like, quite the martial arts stud. He had, like, quadruple black belts and all these good things, trophies everywhere. Well, there was this other guy named Johnny who was a kickboxer. Sounds like a movie, doesn't it? Gets better. Uh, 
Johnny was a kickboxer, and he would work out in this gym all the time. And Johnny was so loud and arrogant and obnoxious, and frankly, nobody even liked to be in the gym when he was there because he just, he was so insecure and so arrogant, it was ridiculous. Um, and one day, Johnny was John like he usually was, and Mike was walking to cool or something, and Mike said something like, you know what, Johnny, just save it for the ring, you know. And Johnny's like, what'd you say? What'd you say to me? You know, doing the whole thing. And Mike's just like, and I'm like, oh, here we go. And finally, one of them offered to go in the ring and spar. And it was like, like in a movie, like all of a sudden, 30 people in the gym were all gathered around this ring. And we're like, no way. We're going to watch these two go at it. And they put their gear on and their stuff. Well, round one dings, and Johnny and Mike are going at it. And um, Johnny is punching and throwing kicks, and he's just laying haymakers. He's doing everything he can. Mike's not throwing a punch. Didn't do anything. He just blocked, blocked, dodged, blocked, blocked, dodged the whole round. I'm like, come on, man. This is crazy. Second round, same thing. Johnny's getting worked up, and he's getting more and more angry. He's like, come on, come on, you know, and he's doing his thing, and it, yeah, that was good. He's, he, he's kicking, wait, just wait, just wait, just wait. So he's, he's doing all this stuff, and, and Mike's just dodging, dodging, blocking, blocking. Round two's over, same thing. Round three, same thing. Finally, Johnny's like, do you want to fight or don't you? You know, and he's getting in his corner, and he's all huffy, and Mike sits down in his corner, and he looks over at Lee, where I'm standing. He's got his big red mouth guard, and he smiles. Gives a little wink. All right, round four. One, two, three seconds into the round, he throws a roundhouse, hits Johnny across the face, knocks him out cold. <laughs> three seconds. They did the smelling salt. He woke up. It was all good. <laughs> you know, I was in this. This is like, I was like in, the, it was cool. All right. <laughs> so anyway, I'm walking out to the car afterwards with Lee, and we're talking, and he says, you know, he said Mike was never worried for a minute. He knew it was going to happen at that fight the moment he stepped on the mat, and he was just trying to teach Johnny a lesson. He's like, there was never any fight. And I thought, holy smokes, that's some authority. Remember the story in 2 Kings when the king of Asa, uh, Asa I think, is um, Amaz, Amaz, Amaz. The king was going around trying to uh, get Israel, and the Lord kept telling Elisha where they were going to be. So Elisha would go over and tell the king of Israel, hey, they're going to be over here next. And so the king would go, and it started making this king so angry of Aram. Aram. He made, started making him so angry that he decided, hey, let's go get Elisha instead and take care of this guy so we don't have this problem anymore. So they took the whole army and gathered around the village where Elisha was staying. And Elisha had this servant named Gehazi, right? And I imagine Gehazi steps out one morning to go get the morning paper, and he picks it up, and he looks up, and there's an army. And he's like, hey, boss, there's an army out there that wants to kill you. And Elisha, you know, I imagine him like the salty old Jedi, and he's eating his oatmeal, and he's like, yeah, those who are with us are more than those against us. He's not even worried, right? And Gehazi's starting to freak out. He's like, no, 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 I don't think you understand. There's a whole army out there that wants to kill us. And Elisha prays, and he says, open his eyes, Lord. Open his eyes so that he may see. And then it says that the Lord opened the servant's eyes. He looked, and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. It wasn't even a fight. He's got this. And this is a story of what's going on in the book of John. 
For those of you who catch this irony, Nietzsche wrote that sometimes people don't want to hear the truth because they don't want their illusions destroyed. The illusions of Judas and the soldiers in the garden was that they were going to arrest Jesus, that they were going to take him and have their way with him. So what's your answer to the question, who is it that you want? And I don't really want to be insensitive, and I certainly want to take you seriously, but the reality is, is how you answer that question in some ways really doesn't matter. Because you cannot alter reality based on your feelings or desires or thoughts. The reality is that there is a God, and he's sitting on the throne in heaven. Jesus Christ is ruling and reigning. The truth is, is that there is a kingdom, there is a spiritual reality that exists right alongside of and within our natural reality right now. That there are angels and demons. That there are powers and principalities that are out to steal and kill and destroy your life. There is a Holy Spirit at work trying to lead you into life abundant. And this is all going on all while we're walking through our natural existence day to day. And we have a choice. Like Judas, do we want to live in our simple, natural circumstance and try to make sense of it, trying to fit Jesus into how we see and understand the world, or are we willing to take Jesus for who he really is, not who we want him to be? Because the truth is, is if we end up taking him like Judas and the soldiers, we're going to kill him. Or at least we're going to kill his work in our life. By us trying to manipulate and mold him into our image and make him into what we think we want, we're going to end up killing his work in our life. And I get it. It's not easy. There's questions. Sometimes it's hard to reconcile while there's suffering, why we deal with depression and anxiety, why we deal with breakups, why we deal with cancer, why things happen that don't make sense, why we can cry out to God and it seems like he doesn't hear us. I understand that those questions are real and that we have to walk through them. But here's what I do know. I don't want to kill Jesus. I don't want to kill his work in my life. In fact, I want to know his heart more. I want to he says, who is it that you want? I want to have the courage to say, I want you as you are and not how I want you to be. I want to know the strength of your heart, Jesus. The strength that would take you to the cross to die for people who aren't even thankful. I want to know you, Jesus. I want to know the patience in your heart that would forgive me over and over and extend grace when I don't deserve it. I want to know that kind of love, Jesus. I want to know the kind of love that you would come and be one of us. The reality is, is that it sure seemed in the natural like Jesus was taken by men and he was butchered on a cross and he died a very real and natural death and he did. Those things are all very true. But there was more going on than meets the eye. For he conquered sin. He went down to hell. He retrieved the keys and he came back to life, a natural life. And he invited his people into a supernatural kingdom. One that says, hey, come and follow me. I want to give you my spirit so you have eyes to see and ears to hear what the rest of them aren't seeing and hearing. 
because there's more that meets the eye. I want to invite you into a reality that is deeper than what you see and feel and experience every day. And they collide, and you walk in the world with me. And the good news for you today is that I'm not God. Hallelujah. Because what I want for you is that I would want to force him on you. I would, be, I would do anything that I could figure out how to make you feel and experience God's love. I, you guys, I lay in my, in my office on the carpet floor sometimes and just bawl over this campus, over my sin and yours. I cry literal tears over the drinking that goes on in this campus. I have wept so many tears over the sexual brokenness that has been exposed in my world. But I've also danced incredible songs of joy in my office at night when nobody's here in the morning when I'm by myself and I put on my songs really loud and I feel like God gives me his heart for you and his delight for you is so great and I get to experience that and I'm like yes this is what I want for these people this is what I want for us I want to know your heart I want to know the delight in your spirit and I want to know the suffering that you walk in just like Paul said I want to know Jesus and the power of his resurrection, to know him in his suffering, but also in his resurrection. Who is it that you want today? Hear the king's invitation and respond. Let's pray. Jesus, we need your help. We, we, we know that gift, faith is a gift. And we know that without it, uh, we can't see rightly. Jesus, I pray for courage to receive your gift that you're offering to us today. I pray that we would see you more clearly, that the revelation of Jesus would become more obvious to us, that the eyes of our heart would be opened, that we would know the love of Christ even though we'll never fully comprehend it. Lord, I pray for these students, staff, and faculty. I ask, Holy Spirit, that you continue to draw them deeper into your heart, that this would be a campus that beats along with the heart of the Father, that we would see your kingdom come, your will being done in our midst here, just as it is in heaven, that our realities and the, and the spiritual truths of what's going on would, would collide with our natural experiences, and that we would be able to see you and know you in your fullness. Lord, bless us in this day. Let us answer the question, who is it that we want by responding, whoever you are. We want you the way that you are and not the way that we want you to be. We love you, Jesus. We bless you today. Send us out from this place in your spirit's power. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you rise and receive a blessing? May the God who is in complete control, who knows the story from beginning to end, who has uh, fought the good fight for us and invites us to follow him, be with you now and in all of your days ahead. Go in peace, love, and serve the Lord. Amen.